welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So this is the third and final talk in our Angel Share series, exploring the beautiful uh, biblical story of Ruth and Boaz, and, and the idea underlying it that God's grace somehow flourishes in the space and even the waste that we have in our lives. So the first one, we looked at how to waste time, how to live more beautifully. The second one, we talked about how to waste money, how to live more bountifully. And today, we are going to think about how to waste our status, how we can live for the success not of ourselves, but of other people. And uh, just in case you're new to the series or new to the story of Ruth and Boaz, it just goes like this. There's a rich farmer, his name is Boaz. He has all these fields in a little town called Bethlehem. Very good. One day, two widows turn up. Turns out one is the mother-in-law, and her name is Naomi, and the other is the daughter, and her name is Ruth. Naomi's originally from Bethlehem, but Ruth is a foreigner. So Naomi's husband has died and her son has died, leaving the two women widowed, not related by blood. Uh, Naomi has brought her daughter-in-law back to Bethlehem where they are gleaning. They're picking up the waste behind the harvesters so that they wouldn't starve. It's the earliest social welfare system recorded in human history. The, the Old Testament, the Torah principle of leaving the gleanings of your crops. And uh, because Boaz is generous and allows Ruth to glean in his fields, uh, they get to know each other, they fall in love, and they get married. And out of their marriage, they become the great-grandparents of a whole bunch of boys, one of whom is called David, who becomes king. He is David of Bethlehem. When in a few weeks' time we sing once in Royal David City, that isn't Jerusalem, it's Bethlehem because of Boaz. And then you go down even further and then we get Jesus born in Bethlehem because he's from the, the Davidic line, uh, the Boaz line. And so Boaz and Ruth getting together is quite a big deal. And what we've realized is that it was through the money that Boaz was willing to waste by not reaping his fields right to the corner uh, in order to provide for the poor, that he meets his wife. But also, and this is where we're going to focus today, it's through the status that he was willing to waste by marrying below his social uh, role in life, a penniless widow, an economic migrant, a foreigner. And in marrying Ruth, he fathers the royal line of David and ultimately of Jesus. He steps into his greatest destiny. So often in our own lives, it's through what we waste that God's grace comes and flows uh, through us and in us and to the world. And I want to suggest to you, and this is sort of, again, the thesis of this series, that at a time where we are all overextended, uh, overdrawn in our bank accounts, overstretched, overworked, overexposed, overwhelmed, the story of Ruth and Boaz is a, a beautiful reminder to relax a little bit and to make space for grace to grow uh, between the cracks of our lives and to leave a little more margin at the corners of our fields. And I will 
think that probably today's session is the most challenging of the three because we don't find sacrificing reputation, success, status, ego, easy. Most of us probably quite like the idea of wasting a bit of time, living a bit more slowly, a bit more space. And, and, and we probably quite like the idea as well of wasting money. Some of you are very good at it. And, uh, but, but not just to waste it, but to be generous to other people. No one wants to be Scrooge in, in, in the Christmas story, right? Uh, so we, we like those two, but now we're talking about something really seriously. If wasting time is about living uh, more slowly and wasting money is about living more simply, wasting uh, status is about living a smaller life, losing a little bit of face, maybe at times feeling a bit forgotten. From the classroom to the boardroom, to the bedroom. Everyone wants to be a success these days. And so I was in Nashville recently and I was absolutely uh, amused, tickled to read um, an advert by a, a musician uh, who was clearly looking for work. And this, this is what appeared in, in a Nashville newspaper. Bass player available for paying gigs only. I play G, C, and D. If your songs are not in G, please transpose them into G. If your song has an E minor or a B minor or anything off the wall, I'll probably sit out that chord. Or I could learn those notes for $30 each. If you want me to do fancy stuff like go back and forth between G and D while you hold a G chord, forget it, because I'm a pocket player. Minimum $100 per gig within a five-mile radius of 37204. $5 per mile travel charge for other areas out of town. Please make sure your gigs are on a Metro Nashville bus route or you can pick me up at my place. Must be home by 11 p.m. due to previous legal hassles. No gigs within 500 yards of schools, parks, or playgrounds. <laughs> I think we can agree reputation really matters. Just ask the child who's being bullied at school. Just ask the teenager checking their social media status for likes 50 times a day. Just ask the commercial lawyer fighting to try and protect a multi-million dollar brand. Just ask the contestants on I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here right now with nine million viewers voting them in and out of the jungle on the basis of how attractive they are and how popular they are and how likable they are. Reputation matters. And I believe that the way of Jesus has a great deal of provocative stuff to say in such a climate. So uh, if you've got a Bible, you might want to look up Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me just read that again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Good stuff, isn't it? And so we make this shocking discovery. At the very heart of all reality is God, and he is humble. The first time, Anyone, I remember exactly where I was the first time someone said to me, God is humble. It was such an extraordinary thought. I mean, if anyone ever didn't have to be humble, it's God, right? God is humble. If you will allow that reality described so powerfully in this passage from Philippians to just seep into your life, it will change everything about the way you conduct yourself, the way you view other people, the way you relate to people. At the heart of reality is a divinity marked out by humility. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He laid it down. He made himself nothing. And then he didn't just come and you know, be a, a, you know, a, a, a king or a celebrity. He came and he was a servant. And then even as a servant, the creator of life submits to death. The apostle Paul commands us, if we are followers of the way of Jesus, to have that same attitude. This is not a negotiable. Oh, well, Jesus was good at that. He was terribly nice. It's just not me. If you're a follower of Jesus... You must have this same attitude at work in your friendships, in the way you engage with the culture. The Apostle Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 48, it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. When you step through these doors this evening, you stepped into an alternative reality. Outside those doors is a world where the least is the least. But you stepped into a parallel universe when you came in through these doors today because we are a community that says it's upside down and the least is the greatest, the weakest is the strongest, the humblest is the most honoured in our midst. And then Jesus modelled it throughout his life, but the most obvious one before his death is the way that he got down on his knees and he washed people's feet. It was the job of the lowest servant 
This is at a time people wore open-toed sandals and walked on dusty roads behind pooing horses, donkeys, and camels. Jesus washes feet. And then afterwards, he makes it so clear. He says this. I'm quoting the exact words. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. There's no other way to lead in this alternative reality. The way of Jesus flies in the face of contemporary culture, inundated as we are by narcissistic celebrities, dominated as we are by arrogant leaders of nations and of multinational companies obsessed with their own importance. From Westminster to the White House, from Jay-Z to Prince Andrew, we have a different value system. How are we to be different? How, how, do, how are we going to do this? I mean, how really, in a, a context like this, is it possible for us to follow the way of Jesus and, and lay down a little status? Well, I want to suggest that the way you do it because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond understanding. So how do we do this? I think it's the same as the way that we give God our money and our time. So with money, you recognize all your money is God's, and therefore you give some of it away, but you don't give all of it away because you realize he's given a lot of it to you for you, right? So you give some because it's all his. Same with, uh, uh, with, with time. You, you, you realize all my time is given me by God, but I can't spend every single minute in the prayer room or every single minute with my hands in the air worshipping. So I will make sure I regularly set aside time for focused prayer, time to gather like this and worship because I recognize that all of my life is worship. And so in the same way when we're talking about status and reputation and how do we live humbly in the way of Jesus... I don't believe you have to give up your drive to succeed. In fact, the Bible at one point talks about the importance of godly ambition. It also talks, by the way, about ungodly ambition. But godly ambition. But we do redirect some of our ambition towards the success of others rather than our own success. The comfort of others, the applause of others, the joy of others rather than just towards ourselves. The Apostle James comes along and he joins the chorus. James 4 verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's a beautiful summary of Philippians 2, right? Jesus humbles himself again and again and again, gets as low as you can go. In fact, he gets buried in the ground. And then he's raised up and exalted to the place far above. Everyone, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Humble yourselves, says the Apostle James. God will lift you up. That's the deal. I think that might be a little bit what happened this morning with that British Army officer. He humbled himself and God came and spoke to him and is going to lift him up. Glasgow is irrelevant. If you listen to the recording, that might not make sense. Never mind. You know, and I want you to remember, so taking notes, write this down. Humility attracts the favor of God. 
Humility attracts the favor of God. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says that. It says this, clothe yourself in humility because God opposes the proud but he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble, opposes the proud. Clothe yourself. That's very active. I'm looking around the room. There, is no, there are no naked people here, <laughs> as far as I can tell. You all, well done. You all successfully clothed yourself today. Some of you probably spent longer clothing yourselves than others. My wife is a very committed clothinger of herself. <laughs> we understand, we don't lie there and go, well, if God wants me to have clothes, he'll put them on me, and you walk out the door naked. You just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Don't expect God to kind of mysteriously make me humble. Clothe yourself in humility. Put on humility every day of your life. Don't even say, I'm going to have the odd day naked. Just... Just clothe yourself in humility daily. Make choices to be humble. You have actually two choices in life, according to the Bible. You can either humble yourself, or you can wait for God to humble you. And my strong, strong advice <laughs> is do it yourself. Do it yourself. And newspapers are full of stories of God humbling people who refused to humble themselves right now. I'm not going to name names. I don't want to put the boot in. Humble yourself and God will raise you up. Cling to arrogance and your own self-importance and he will bring you down. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. We see this in the life of Moses. You know, when Moses was a somebody in the courts of Pharaoh, does he, does, does, does he get called? No. And then when he becomes a firebrand and he kills someone, he's trying to start a revolution. <laughs> does God go, that's my guy, I like that kind of attitude? No. And then once he's given up being a somebody and he's just become a nobody tending sheep in the desert, he's given up all hopes, half his dreams are just buried somewhere in the dust of Midian. Then the burning bush, and Moses steps into his destiny, becomes one of the greatest human beings that was ever born. See, until a man is nothing, until a woman is nothing, God can make nothing out of him or her. It is your humility that attracts the favor of God. Once Moses was humble, the call came. Same with David, right? You know, Boaz's great-grandson. He's like, there's a lot of big brothers out there. You know, they're doing all the important stuff. I just, I just look after the sheep around here. He didn't have aspirations to be in charge of his own family, let alone rule a nation. He's just a shepherd. But we know that he would spend his time out on the hills worshipping. He wasn't like, I just want to be a worship leader and make an album and, and lead thousands of people. You know, he, he, wasn't, he just loved Jesus. He, he, it was an audience of one, unless you count a hundred sheep. <laughs> and, and there's something about humility that attracts the favor of God, and he got chosen. 
not his brothers, to be king. Maybe you are in a season where, like David, you're just caring for smelly sheep. (laughs) Or like Moses, you've given up a bunch of your dreams and you're just wandering around in the wilderness. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now, feeling a bit bypassed. Maybe you feel a little bit forgotten. I remember um, a time in my life where um, I was attending a church full of lovely people. The pastor was such a kind man. But this church had the most boring preaching you have ever heard in your life. That it was, I mean, it was dreadful. And, and it, it wasn't just boring. Occasionally when I managed to understand what was being said, half it wasn't even true. But it was a lovely church. So I went along for quite a while. But I had, I had, so we didn't have mobile phones back then, so I couldn't distract myself, pretend I was reading the Bible. I remember counting the number of like tiles in the ceiling, and and I, I knew it was the kind of church anyone who wanted to like have a go at preaching could basically have a go, and I knew if I went to the lovely pastor, his name was Colin, and said to him, "Can I have a go at preaching?" He'd have gone, "Yes, of course," and God spoke to me really clearly and said, "I don't want you to push yourself forward. Don't, don't do it." And I sat there, and I, I and I, I even felt like maybe I was called to preach, but. God said, don't push yourself forward. So for a couple of years, I didn't preach once. And, 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 and I could have done. And I've often looked back and thanked God for that season of my life because now I, I have opportunities to preach all over the world, all of the time. I, can't, I, I, I turn down 90% of the invitations I receive. And yet I know there was two years of my life where I think maybe God helped me to clothe myself in humility and not engineer something or make something happen. See, humility attracts the favor of God in a way that striving never can. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Humility isn't, isn't like, oh, I'm terrible. Oh, I'm so bad. It's not, it's not self-absorved. Uh, humility is about thinking about other people more than yourself, thinking of yourself less. In fact, some people who have terrible self-image actually are, are quite proud because they're so convinced by their own importance and the truth of whatever they happen to be feeling at any given moment and so caught up in that that they're disinterested in anyone else or they'll talk to other people or they won't talk to other people because it's just all about me, myself and I. And so humility isn't about, you know, sort of sackcloth and ashes. It's about being fascinated by other people. So I'm going to give you really quickly 10 practical things you can do to humble yourself, to clothe yourself in humility, okay? And at least one of these, you'll go, I could do that. Uh, So here you go. First one, ask more questions this week. Ask more questions. It's really simple. If if you're just always talking and not listening, you're more interested in yourself than you are in other people. Get better at asking questions. Two, don't show off. <laughs> that might sound really childish and obvious, but boy, people show off a lot, don't they? Especially on social media. My kids tell me, if, if I ever do a, what they call it humble brag, right? You know, it was such a joy to minister to 5,000 people today. They're like, Dad, you're being an idiot. Humble brag, take that down now. I'm like, you're right. Clothe myself in humility. Three, take the worst parking space instead of the best. I'm serious. Like, like someone's got to have the best one. Why should it be you? 
I had this actually, I went to the barber uh, um, last week and, and there was a new guy in there and, and, and um, I got talking, I didn't recognise him and I could tell he, he doesn't shave yet and I was asking him to trim my beard, it's a bad sign. And I said to him, are you, are you new here? And he said, it's my first day. And I, I wanted to run from that seat and I, and I just suddenly thought, do you know what, he's got to practice on someone and it'll grow back. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's okay. And I, I, get, I told him it was the best haircut I'd ever had. And I gave him an enormous tip because we're, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I'm not trying to get the best for me. I, I, I want him to practice on me, as you can see. Uh, it was a, uh, uh. But take the worst parking space instead of the best, you know? And, and look, it's not a big deal. And don't kind of like, yeah, I, I, I tend to always take the worst, uh, worst parking space. Yeah. It's not like laying down your life for the salvation of, it, of the human, human kind. But, you know, there's little acts of joyful worship between you and God. Rational use of social media. If you are continually mainlining into social media, you are mainlining into a, a global neural system that is in, intrinsically narcissistic and self-obsessed. Now, I'm not saying don't use it, but I'm saying have a day off or have a night off or, or plug your phone into charge downstairs at night, but ration social media. That's number four. Five, join the secret service. That's the fifth one. And what I mean by that is, is start to have like little godly secrets of ways you serve God. Okay. Now, if you've got like areas of sin and, and, and unhealthy habits and brokenness in your life, don't keep that stuff a secret. Bring that into the light and we can get it sorted because the power of Jesus is, is, is incredible. And it's through confession. Bring things to the light that get sorted. But there are kinds of things that we are supposed to have secrets about. Jesus says, you know, that when, you, when you're giving, don't your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so uh, just get into the habit of having these little acts of service that you do that, like, I, I, I try and every day have at least one thing that I, I won't tell Sammy, I won't tell the kids, uh, I won't tell anyone. Um, uh, here's one for me, and, and I've already lost my, my prize in heaven for this one, so i just tell you. But one of the things I try to do, I don't always, almost always, you know that thing you go into a toilet cubicle and, and, and someone's made a mess, and, and your instinct is walk away and find a cleaner one. And I've started trying to go, well, someone's got to clear that up. I'm a follower of Jesus. And clear it up. And, and then I always say this voice, someone's pretty paid to do that. So what? I get to do this. I'm choosing to serve. And so uh, join the secret service. Find little secret ways of serving. Next one. Uh, number six. Pray privately for other people. I, I think probably the most sacrificial thing you can possibly do is pray for people. Because like, if you're doing number one which, there, which is you know, asking questions, then people are going to go, oh, you know, Adam's so caring. He's so kind. Oh, the way he listens to me. But if Adam spends that same time praying for that person, they probably won't even know. So that is really giving to a person. So pray for other people. If your prayer life is only for yourself, it's a major... Ah, ah, ah that you're kind of more interested in yourself than anyone else. Uh, is this talk too challenging, by the way? No. Steve, is it a bit challenging? If, if it does, just, just hold up your right hand and I'll just tone it down. I'll do a quick joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, seven, learn to say no more 
to people. And, you know, good things are not always God things. And if we're going to make more margin in our lives, both in terms of our time, our schedules, uh, in terms of our finances, but also in terms of our reputation, our status, you're going to have to say no to some stuff. I always worry. I find whenever I miss, like, a, a Christian meeting or a conference, it's like, they always like, oh, it was incredible, revival broke out. It's whenever I miss them. I started to worry at one stage, maybe I was the Antichrist. Like, when I turn up, things are just mostly pretty average. Uh, but whenever I'm not there, it's like, unbelievable! You know, we, we, we struggle, don't we, with the fear of missing out. The, the fear of not, of not being noticed, not being present, not having the spotlight on us. Just learn to say no to a few more things. Eight. Why don't you, if you're not already doing so, and many of you are, volunteer at the Lighthouse or the, the youth work here or running a collective, because that's a way you can take a chunk of time that you could otherwise be spending on yourself and spend it on other people. Nine, if you work, mentor someone at work. Find a way of coaching someone at work. It might be easy to do. You might have people who report to you. Why don't you factor in an extra 15 minutes for every line management meeting so you can do it really well? Uh, But you might say, well, no one reports to me. I'm at the bottom of the heap. Well, you could still coach and mentor people. Start with number one. If you ask enough questions, you'll be amazed by how many people start to open up and ask for your advice. Maybe if you're in management positions, say you get a big contract, why don't you give it to someone else rather than take it for yourself? A big opportunity, give it to someone else. And the final one is this, number 10, give people permission to speak into your life. Actually take time. To say to someone, go for coffee with someone or whatever, who you like and you trust, and say to them, you know what, would you challenge me from time to time? Would you tell me if I'm being an idiot? Would you ask me awkward questions? Because our society doesn't actually do that, especially the blokes here. We are phenomenal as guys. We can talk about football and all sorts of nonsense. Music, get me on the music. I can, I can go there. Like, I reckon with John Radmore, I've probably spent hours at times just talking absolute nonsense about music alone. But, but, but actually, we need to cut through that sometimes and say to people, look, challenge me, speak to me. And, and this isn't just like a thing in a talk. I do this. Like, actually, there are people I regularly say, can you tell me if I'm doing all right? Can you speak into me? Can you, can you challenge me? Because I want to grow. I want to, and it's a way of humbling myself. Okay, so those are 10. Hopefully you can grab one or two things from that. Make it your ambition to sow your life into the success of other people. There's this um, guy who was a very successful businessman, and then he quit that. And the second half of his life, he developed a thing called the Leadership Network in America to to raise up leaders. His name is Bob Buford. He said this, the fruit of my life will grow on other people's trees. Isn't that good? The fruit of my life will grow on other people's trees. Sow enough of your resources into others so that instead of just when you die, a tree falls down in a forest so that you leave behind an orchard planted with your prayers and with your kindness, with your encouragement, with your money and all the rest of it. Um, Mums, by the way, are some of the best people in any community at doing this, sowing their lives into the success of others. If, if, If you're at that stage, you've got little children, you maybe feel a bit like Moses in the wilderness, you feel a bit forgotten, a bit sidelined, you are pouring your abilities 
your gifts, your skills into the lives of others. And it's a beautiful ambition. The fruit of my life will grow on other people's trees. The final thing I want to say is this. Um, and we're going to watch a video clip. And then we're going to just pray for some people. Practice contentment. Learn to be content with where you are now. Not always thinking, if I can just get, you know, that, you know, I don't know, 100 more followers or that promotion at work or a little bit of a pay rise, then my life will be better. Learn that if this is as good as it ever gets, maybe that's okay. Practice contentment. And I can't think of a better way of concluding this talk or illustrating this point than to show you a clip from a very old film. 24 years ago, 1995, there was a movie released starring Richard Dreyfuss called Mr. Holland's Opus. And uh, it, it's a very moving film. It was nominated for an Academy Award. And it's a true story about a composer, a musician called Glenn Holland, whose great dream in life, you know, he's a composer, is, is, to, is to create the great piece of American music, a great symphony for America. That's what he feels he's on earth to do. But then he falls in love, he gets married, and um, his wife has a baby, and he realizes, I've got to go and get a job just to pay the bills, I've got to be responsible, I'm a dad now, so he goes and becomes a music teacher. They call their little baby's son Coltrane after his musical hero, John Coltrane, the great jazz saxophonist. And so it's absolutely heartbreaking when they discover that Coltrane is stone deaf. So this little boy that has, if you like, unwittingly stopped the dad from being able to compose as much as he wants, but is named after his dad's great musical hero, can't understand music. Then, to make matters worse, Glenn Holland discovers that music isn't really respected at the school at which he's teaching. It's a sidelined department. But he muddles through and you know, runs a school orchestra and teaches music and, you know, thing, life comes and goes and they have more kids and he's finding it harder and harder to ever find the time to write this great piece of music until eventually he reaches the age of 60 and it's his last day in the school. He's retiring. He feels deep within him that he has missed his destiny, that he has somehow wasted his gift. And then on the way out of the school for the last time, he's called into the auditorium and he finds it packed with former students. So take a look at this. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. 
And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. great film. It's worth getting out and there's more that happens after that. But Mr. Holland's legacy has flourished in the distractions and the disappointments and the wastelands of his ambition. So often I think we look back on our lives and realize that our priorities were actually different to God's priorities for our lives. John Lennon, used to say, uh, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. The incessant interruptions that come our way may actually be the interventions of God. The annoying distractions may be actually, with hindsight, the main attractions of your life. The things that you strived for may turn out to be less important than the things that came for free. The stuff you grasped at may actually ultimately be worth less than the things that you already held in your hands. And so I want to encourage you to be asking yourself, what are the distractions or even the frustrations in your life right now that might actually be God's gift to you? What might his presence look like knocking at your door right now in disguise? The cliche has been true in my own life that when Sammy was very close to death, I did not sit there thinking, I wish I'd attended another meeting or another conference or planted another church. I sat there. I remember saying to God, I would give, it's going to sound weird, but I'd give anything for one more trip to Tesco's with Sammy. Isn't that ridiculous? Just the fun of walking up and down aisles, choosing stuff to eat together. It's the simple stuff you miss. And so we so easily, in our striving for status and influence and power and credibility and all the things we think will make us happier, miss the unbelievable bounty and blessing of what we already have in our hands. For us, one of the ways God's come to us in disguise has been through Sammy's ill health. It might be something different for you. It might be the loss of a job that one day you look back and go, oh, I see God what you were doing. It might be the unwanted gift of singleness. It might be a relative who needs your care and you're thinking, I need this like a hole in the head. I've got stuff to do, not someone I need to care for. So we live under enormous pressure to succeed and to make our mark and to compete and to compare and to win at life. And I know for a fact that many of us are living with our foot flat to the floor, with very little space in our schedules, very little slack in our finances, very little hiddenness and contentment 
in our own lives. Others of us are probably wrestling with feeling sidelined and forgotten, worried like Mr. Holland that we're missing our destiny. I wonder if maybe even as you over the Christmas break think ahead to next year whether God might be calling you to make some radical decisions professionally or to simplify your finances to create more margin. So it'd be great to get the band back, uh, if that's okay. And uh, I'd love just to pray for one or two people. I believe that the Father simply wants to say to us tonight, trust me. Trust me. Trust me that as you clothe yourself in humility, I'll take care of the rest. I I think he wants to say to us, follow me into the ways of the wilderness, the ways of humility, the ways of meekness. I think for some of us, maybe he wants to give us the gift of contentment in a culture that's continually telling us that what we have is not enough. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So there is a burden, but it's not meant to be as heavy as some of you are carrying. There is a yoking, but it's not meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to be easy. And there may be all sorts of ways that you are yoked to expectations of your parents have put upon you. Things that are just driving you. A, a burden that's unnecessarily heavy because you're not remembering just to say maybe this is enough and maybe this if this is all it is is okay but maybe actually what feels like a wilderness is actually where the favor of God is going to touch down so just take a moment now just to think what does this mean for you what does it mean for you to follow the way of Jesus in humility and preferring other people, doing nothing out of vain ambition? What does it mean to humble yourself, clothe yourself in humility? And the thing is this, um, one of the best, best ways to humble yourself is to humble yourself. And I said that humility attracts the favor of God, right? And so uh, in a moment, I'm just going to give an opportunity for people to stand right where they are. Um, if you're saying there's a specific way, I know God's speaking to me about stopping striving, Stop being so worried about my status. Maybe for some of us, a little bit of repentance. We know there's a little bit of self-obsession and narcissism that's crept in. Or maybe it's this thing of, of being in the wilderness and resenting the wilderness. And this talk has just been God saying to you, you know what, I've got you just where I want you. This is where my grace is going to flourish in your life.
And so, as I say, in just a moment, I'm going to invite those who need to do so to stand. Firstly, as a way of saying to God, yeah, this is me. I want to humble myself. I need to do that. But secondly, as a way of just indicating that you'd like some prayer. When an army officer stood this morning to humble himself, his specific was he hadn't got the promotion that he wanted. And he was saying to God, okay, look how it attracted the favor of God. A complete stranger came and had that word for him. Wouldn't have happened if he hadn't stood. Some of you right now are thinking, I don't stand. Because I know there's certain people here that just your hearts are so soft, you always respond. But there are some people like, I don't do that. And I want to just challenge you and say, you're in real trouble. You are missing, literally, you are missing out. There is stuff that God wants to do in your life, but if you don't respond, it's like your fist is clenched. And until you learn to open it, you can't receive. It's not there's any magic about coming to the front or standing, but there's something about humility that attracts the favor of God. Okay. And this isn't for everyone. I don't want anyone to feel pressured to stand. Many, many people here, you're an amazing. I know actually loads of people in this room who've taken radical decisions in terms of humility and serving of others. Your fruit is growing on other people's trees. So I don't want anyone to feel pressured to stand. But there's some here, I'm sure, saying, yeah, I need to. I know what it's about. So um, those who want to do that, uh, if you want to just stand now so that you can respond to God and tell God why you're standing, and then we'll pray for you. guys are standing would you just open your hands now just it may be even in opening them you're deliberately relinquishing something you're just letting go of something that you've been holding on to or grasping and so spirit of the living God I pray that you'd fall on each one who's standing here now pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your love and your security and a deep certainty that you're with them and for them. You see them. They've not been forgotten. I pray, Lord God, for your favor to rest upon them, even just for, for standing tonight. Thank you, Lord, for that act of clothing themselves in humility. Now would you pour your favor into their lives, I pray. Now, what, what I'd love us to do is about half the room is standing. So um, if you're sitting and you'd like to do so, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. If you could just look around you, don't stand up quite yet, and spot someone um, who's standing. And it's going to be about one person on each person, something like that. And just what you need to do is once you go up to someone, just say to them, do you mind if I put a hand on your shoulder? And they might say no, and that's fine. You don't have to. Uh, but if they say, yeah, just put a hand on their shoulder and just would you pray a prayer of blessing for them? Would you also just take some risks? Like if God gives you a picture or a scripture or a word of encouragement, if it's just like the sort of thing that you think Jesus would say or do, it's probably good. 
but just go and pray for them and encourage them. And you may well have the key that just blesses them for days, weeks, or even months to come. Even simple things like that guy this morning taking a risk on those three words. Glasgow is irrelevant. So uh, let's just go and pray for the, those who are standing. Let's try and make sure everyone who's standing has someone praying for them, please. anyone still waiting to be prayed for can you just raise your hand really clearly now so okay thank you guy right at the back there Mike anyone else still waiting to be prayed for great 